You're listening to a podcast from York City Church. If you like what you hear and you'd like to find out more, please visit our website at www.yorkcitychurch.org.uk. I'm never quite sure what uh, slides to use for a sermon, and Al always has such cool slides, so I just thought I'd borrow his slides. Um, What's going on? What's going on indeed? Uh, There's a traditional name for today, and it is Palm Sunday. Brilliant, brilliant. And Palm Sunday is the beginning of Holy Week. Wow. Today we celebrate Jesus' triumphal procession into Jerusalem. And if you're quick... You've just about enough time to run down Gilligate and into the Minster where you may see a donkey or two. Happy Holy Week. (laughs) Next Sunday is Easter Sunday. It's the time when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. This week, it's all donkeys and palm leaves. Next week, it's all bunnies, chocolate egg, and champagne. Perhaps Prosecco, or perhaps in these times of austerity and soaring prices, a diamond white. But not so fast. That's a whole week away. What's going on? If you've never been to the Holy Week events at the Minster, they're worth checking out. And we've got something planned for just about every evening of this week. Sometimes here, sometimes on Zoom, even at the new Roderick Palace. But what is Holy Week? It's considered by some the most, sur- the most sacred week in, I was going to say the surgical week, the most sacred week in the liturgical calendar. And that's not how I was brought up, but here is Holy Week. Holy Monday, the cleansing of the te- temple. Or perhaps uh, the stirring of the hornet's nest. Jesus escalates his conflict with the temple authorities and they want to kill him. Fig Tree Tuesday. Actually, um, it was Holy Tuesday, but I didn't think that was grand enough. And I think it is right that we commemorate the only destructive miracle of the Lord Jesus that we're given in the Gospels. And remember the poor fig tree. I know at Reed Mark Learn it causes a lot of grief. But on Holy Tuesday, Peter notices that the fig tree has withered. And Jesus' conflict with the temple authorities is building to crescendo and they now really want to kill him. Spy Wednesday, I didn't make this one up, it actually was called Spy Wednesday. 
and it's because of the religious authorities sending spies to catch Jesus in his words. It may also relate to the arrangement that they have with Judas to portray Jesus. Monday, Thursday, that's the day that the Queen gives money to poor people dressed in their Sunday best. It also commemorates the mysterious preparation for the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. And it's important to note that the Jewish day runs from evening to morning. So the rest of what happens on our Monday, Thursday, actually happens effectively on Good Friday. Good Friday. Jesus washes the disciples' feet, the Last Supper, Gethsemane, the betrayal, the arrest, trials, torture, crucifixion, death, burial. Good Friday. And then there's Bleak Saturday. Uh, I may have misheard that from John Healy. Nobody got that, okay. Nothing much happens. Jesus lies cold in the tomb. But Sunday's coming. But hold on. Not so fast. Good Friday. Good Friday. Why Good Friday? What's so good about Good Friday? It's horrible. Why can't we just focus on Easter Sunday? Holy Week is a bit like a box holding a precious diamond. The diamond is set in gold and presented against a background of black velvet, all to accentuate the beauty of the diamond. And nowadays, you can even get a little LED light to shine on the diamond. That's Holy Week. A light shining in a dark place, illuminating the glory of the diamond. Easter Sunday is like a certificate. It's a certificate of authentication. It's the thing that tells you that the diamond that you have is pure, and it gives you an idea of its value and its worth. It authenticates it, but it is not the diamond. Uh, we've all seen those engagement photographs, the close-up of the ring, but we never see a photograph of the certificate for the diamond. That isn't the focus. If Holy Week is like the box, Easter Sunday is like the certificate, then Good Friday is the close-up on the diamond. And the diamond is yeah, it's 
the one time we're allowed to say it. The diamond is Jesus. In the words of the famous ancient 17th century German hymn by Johann Frank, Jesu meine Freude, Jesus, priceless treasure. Do you want to see the glory of Jesus? Invest some time to follow Jesus through Holy Week. Spend some quality time getting close up to Jesus this Good Friday. This sermon began forming just over a month ago, a few days before Anne asked me to preach it. I stumbled on this question. If you can have heaven with no sickness, with all the friends you ever had on earth, all the food you ever liked, all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed, all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, no human conflict, no natural disasters. Could you be satisfied with heaven if Jesus wasn't there? I think if we're honest, that's a very searching question. Is that why we find Good Friday so hard? And we want to rush to Easter Sunday. Mark 8. Jesus began to teach his disciples that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders the chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Peter would be glad that Mark included this embarrassing story. He probably included it in his own preaching. He wanted to help us, because we are like Peter. Well, at least I know I am. Do you see things the way God sees them? Or do you have your own ideas about Jesus? Perhaps Jesus to you is just a means to an end, a ticket to heaven. Is he just a bitter pill to swallow? Do we want healing without the medicine? Do we want the gift without the giver? Then Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. 
For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes with his Father's glory and the holy angels. Are we ashamed of Jesus' words? Are we ashamed of Jesus? Do we think we can have Easter Sunday without Good Friday? The Apostle Paul had the same concern, and we sang half of this. May I never boast of anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. What do we boast about? What do we think? is utterly marvellous. And in the middle of the conflict of Holy Week, Jesus, as he often does, turns to a psalm and he says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone This is the Lord's doing. It's marvellous in our eyes. Well, let's see. Is it marvellous in our eyes? Throughout Mark's Gospel, there's a secret, a mystery. But for us, it's a mystery in broad daylight because Mark gives it away in the very first verse. The beginning of the proclamation of the good news concerning Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus doesn't go around saying, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Son of God. That would get him killed and make for a very short story. Instead, he opts for the more enigmatic title, Son of Man. Let the reader understand. Only a reader of the more obscure books of the Old Testament would have any idea what Son of Man meant. And the secret must be maintained right until the end. Halfway through the gospel, Peter blurts it out You're the Messiah! But Jesus is emphatic. Don't tell anyone that. It must remain a secret. In any case, it's very quickly clear that Peter has only got half of the story. Jesus is indeed the Messiah, God's anointed king. He is the Son of Man, He's also the Son of David. And yet, strangely, this Messiah 
is also a suffering servant. He's Isaiah's suffering servant. It's a mystery. It's a paradox. It's a contradiction. It's back to front. It's upside down. It's inside out. It's meekness and majesty. He's the first and the last. And the last shall be first and the first shall be last. And it's as if there's been a mistake. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Now, just so you know, this was found under the floor of the kitchen, and it's obviously a stone that the builders had rejected. But it's up there, in plain sight, right at the top of the building. In fact, right on the top of the minster. Forget the statue, the carving of St. Peter. Put this in its place. But the disciples don't get the irony. They don't think like God. They have a human mindset in their world. Rishi Sunak is a winner. James and John want the best seats at the Messiah's court. Let us sit one at your right and one at your left in your glory. Jesus hears. You have no idea what you're asking. If you knew what that was, you wouldn't ask that. He hints that they will eventually see what his glory looks like. And then they'll be glad that he couldn't grant their request. Mark chapter 10. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The rulers of the Gentiles, the Gentiles in this case were Romans. Their rulers were people like Pontius Pilate, even Julius Caesar, military men. One of the greatest honors a Roman general could be awarded was a Roman triumph. We are celebrating the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Let's compare and contrast. A Roman triumph was a bit like being given the freedom of the city, a bit like a royal coronation. It was a great honor, but the honored one would only be king for a day. 
The proceedings would start in the military headquarters where the commander's men would dress him in a purple robe, almost considered blasphemous in Roman culture. Even in Rome, they were only allowed to wear a tiny piece of purple cloth on the edge of their white togas, but this man was to wear a purple robe. And following on from the Greeks, they would put a laurel crown on his head. And they would paint his face red so that he would look like one of the gods. They would put a scepter in his hand and shout his praises. And there's quite a lot of archaeological evidence for all of this. But strangely, there are many more surviving early copies of the following text. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is, the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff, and spat on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple robe and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. Other gospel accounts say they actually gave him the the reed that they were hitting him with as a mock scepter. Can you see the irony? Isn't it marvellous? Isn't it marvellous? The Roman triumph continues as a huge procession into the city of Rome. The general would probably be conveyed in a high chariot, and there's some evidence in friezes and so on that this was drawn by four white horses. The procession would include the spoils of war, treasure, slaves, vanquished foes, and it wouldn't end well for them and there would be animals to be sacrificed the procession would wind its way through the city of Rome and it was a great spectacle and everyone would look on it was fun the general's men would sing bawdy songs in his honour tease him a bit it's just your day there would even be a slave whispering in his ear holding a crown over his head. If you look in the freezers, it's actually there, but the the slave is whispering, "You're, you're only human, you're only human. Eventually they would arrive at the temple of Jupiter on the Capitol Hill. Capitol, the head. Here the general would be offered some really good wine, but he would refuse to drink it. He would pour it out as an extravagant sacrifice. Then he would be seated on a throne, flanked by his first and second in command, and the killing would begin. Mark chapter 14. A man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. 
They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. They offered him wine mixed with myrrh, and he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Can you see it now? The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Is it marvelous in your eyes? On Holy Monday and Fig fig Tree Tuesday, Jesus stirs up a battle of wits in the city with the political and religious establishment. This culminates in the chief priests and teachers of the law sending delegations to try and catch Jesus out with tricky questions. Jesus makes quick work of them all. And from then on, nobody dares try that again. However, Jesus seems to want to rub their noses in it. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked Why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David is himself speaking by the Holy Spirit and declares, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? The question is left unanswered, but it will be answered soon. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Jesus, King of the Jews, crowned and enthroned with his enemies at his feet. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Can you see it? Is it marvellous? In your eyes. At the end of Maundy Thursday and the beginning of Good Friday, rewind to the Last Supper. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, 
Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them all, and they drank from it. This is my blood of the, of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said. Truly, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And now at the end of Good Friday, at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of them standing here heard it, they said, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. This time, Jesus doesn't refuse it. The other gospel, or at least one other gospel, says that he took of it. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. Can you see it? This is Jesus in his glory. The kingdom of God has come. The king is crowned and enthroned. And he is drinking again of the fruit of the vine. The end. Well, almost. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who did it? God did it. As Isaiah said, it was the Lord's will to bruise him. But why? My God, my God, why? Well, that's the first line of the 22nd Psalm. And if you wanted in those days to turn somebody to Psalm 22, you wouldn't say Psalm 22 because it wasn't known as Psalm 22 in those days. You would say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And everyone would go, oh, yes, we know that one. And it ends like this. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. 
All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. Future generations, 2,000 years later, future generations told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. This is the Lord's doing, and it's truly remarkable. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, answering the question, how can he be David's son? Surely... This man was the son of God. And the political and religious establishment are schooled by the leader of a Roman death squad. This is how the Messiah, the son of David, is greater than his father, David. He's also the son of God. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. It's the Lord's doing It's marvellous in our eyes. When does it all happen? It was preparation day, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned... From the centurion that it was so he took the body to jo- he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in the tomb cut out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, Joseph, saw where he was laid. It was the first, it was the day before the Sabbath. It was a Friday. It was the sixth day of the week. God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning. The sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all their multitude And on the seventh day, God finished the work he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work he had done. It was Good Friday. A good Friday. Indeed, it was a very good Friday. The best Friday Ever! The stone the builders rejected 
has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Happy Holy Week. Use it well.